Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It was a historic Sunbelt football season in 2023, a season that saw a league record 12 teams appear in bowl games. Georgia State won their third bowl game in the last four years in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, while Southern Miss failed to meet expectations as one of just two Sunbelt squads who didn't appear in a bowl game in 2023. Today, we're putting their 2023 seasons in review as we continue our annual in-review series. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Friday's show. Caden and I were joined by the voice of the Jaguars in Thundering Herd, JT Crabtree and Steve Cotton, to review the 2023 seasons for South Alabama and Marshall. If you missed it, go back, give it a listen. Today on episode 176 of the show, it's time to put the Southern Miss Golden Eagles in Georgia State Panthers in review. Voice of the Golden Eagles, John Cox, will join us first, followed by a conversation with Voice of the Panthers, Dave Cohen, later in this episode. Caden, let's talk Southern Miss, and their season, I think, can best be described as a disappointment. They won a bowl game in 2022, but failed to carry that momentum into 2023. Quarterback and offensive play calling were issues. They dealt with a lot of injuries, but there were some bright spots at the end of the year that I think gives us and this fan base some hope heading into 2024. What are you going to remember about this 2023 campaign for Southern Miss? Yeah, no, as much as the slow and just really bad start to the season this team had starting off the year one and seven, I think the turnaround and the stronger finish is definitely what I'll remember most as far as what this team was able to accomplish this year and what they'll maybe be able to accomplish next year. I think Walhall has definitely done the best he could given the hand he was dealt. And last year he was dealt a tough one just given the quarterback situation he had yet again in the defensive side of the ball getting decimated with injuries. But the fact that this team was able to finish out the season two and two, you're going to take a loss to a power five team in Mississippi State. You're going to take a loss to a team like Troy, but being able to pull out some wins and generate some sort of positive momentum and some sort of pulse and sign of life for this program, I think is definitely what I'll remember most, despite some of those losses kind of getting stacked up together throughout the year. Yeah, Caden, I think those are some great points and certainly gives hope as we look ahead to 2024. Well, let's not make Southern Mrs. John Cox wait any longer. It's time to review the Golden Eagles 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by longtime voice of the Golden Eagles, John Cox, here on the Ferry and Smith podcast. John, thanks for uh, taking some time to come on the show. Great to be with you. Happy to to be a part of it. I've watched and listened to you guys for a while, so uh, anxious and to be a part of the show. Well, John, I uh, appreciate the kind words there. Let's jump in and talk some Southern Miss football, why don't we? Obviously, you know, I think it's fair to say that at least in the fans' eyes and probably around the program, this season was a big disappointment for this program. After the team ascended to that, that bowl win a year ago, many people kind of assumed this program was set to take a next step, but then that step never happened this year. What were your biggest takeaways from Southern Miss's 2023 season? Well, I think I think injuries had a lot to do with it. You know, as Will Hall kind of uh, rebuilds his program, uh, he's he's been come up with some very good frontline guys, but uh, not as much depth probably as he would like to have as a part of this football team. And so, when you suffer some injuries early on, and uh, you know, have some guys that uh, couldn't play at the level that he hoped that they would play, uh, then that's a problem if you don't have the depth. But I think that's part of been. Uh, Part of the rebuilding process this year as it continues is to continue to add depth on both sides of the football and, and in the special team. So I think uh, based on the recruiting year that they've had this year, some of the young guys that had to jump in there last year and play who have gotten better and will get better as they uh, their, uh, the amount of time they play for the Eagles uh, kind of adds up. I think it's going to be a better season. So uh, I think just injuries and maybe the depth as they try to add that depth last year is probably was the cause and uh, probably the thing that kind of kept the Eagles from maybe having the type of season they wanted to have last year. Appreciate you joining us, John. One of the bigger storylines heading into the offseason in fall camp was the quarterback situation for this team. Billy Wilds and Holman Edwards were brought in. Many have said and thought this quarterback was a team away. Would you or a court, this team was a quarterback away? Rather, would you say that's a fair assessment of this of this roster? And what was the temperature in the room regarding Wiles and Edwards kind of competing heading into the season? Yeah, I think uh, I think there were some question marks there. You know, there there was not a lot of uh, depth there, and they brought in those two guys out of the out of the transfer portal, and uh, you know, it just didn't seem to click last year. Some of it has to do with injuries, 
had some injuries on the offensive side of the football. And, you know, if you're a quarterback, you got to have those guys healthy that you can throw the ball to and hand it off to and block for you up front. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But uh, Will Hall, uh, I think, does a great job at handling quarterbacks. Uh, I've got some young quarterbacks coming back. Uh, I've got uh, some uh, veteran guys kind of, I think, are coming back in. So uh, I think that's always the key of any football team. you got to have that guy back there you know, kind of running the show and then pulling the trigger and making things happen back there. And so last year, injuries and some things like that kind of hurt the Golden Eagles. But uh, Will Hall is a former quarterback. He's a guy that's going to make sure the Eagles are strong at that position. And so I'm excited. I think we'll have a great uh, – I think we'll have a really good job, a really good uh, couple of guys in there, quarterback there, to, to maybe make things happen. John, to further dig into that point, obviously injuries played a big role, but particularly on offense, this team did not – look great at times this year. Obviously, there was a lot of bright spots once some of the play calling was handed over. Some changes were made at the end of the year. What do you think outside of the injuries led to maybe some of the struggles on offense this year at times? Oh, I don't know. I think just some inconsistency. I think that had to do with the injuries. You know, uh, if you can keep that same 11 out there playing uh, during the course of the season, uh, that consistency sort of comes and you you get to know each other. You get to feel, get the right feel for what you're trying to do. And I think last year, just too many injuries for the Eagles. Had some injuries in the offensive line, which wasn't as experienced as probably it needed to be. Uh, some injuries out at wide receiver. Some of the best weapons Eagles had, you know, last year. Those guys weren't 100% all the time. And uh, and again, at quarterback, you know, just the inconsistency at quarterback, trying to find that light, last uh, right combination out there. So I think that probably was it. But I have a lot of confidence in Will Hall. Will is a great uh, football mind. I think he knows how to do it. And uh, once he sort of gets this program kind of put together the way he wants to, I think we're going to see a lot of great things out of the Golden Eagles, both offensively and defensively. Now, John, it's hard to talk about this Southern Miss team without talking about Frank Gore Jr., who did his thing again this year. After a slow start, he still managed to have over 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. He's now pursuing his dreams to play in the NFL. He almost ran for 3,000 yards in his career at Southern Miss and will definitely be remembered for a long time with just so many, I feel like, countless signature performances. What do you think FGJ's legacy will be in Hattiesburg now that his career has taken an end? Well, I think I think he'll go down, Frank will, as, as one of the most versatile guys we've ever had at Southern Miss and one of the best players at uh, any position. I, I don't know if I've been around a, a young man who was as hard a worker as Frank. I mean, Frank was always the first guy out on the field before practice, most of the time one of the last guys to go off the field uh, after practice, and uh, he would stay out there and work and work and work. And whether it was his uh, running or his blocking or even the passing, you know, we used him a lot of times in there as that Wildcat uh, quarterback. Uh, he, he really was a hard worker. And as I said, probably the last guy, if not the last guy, one of the last to ever come off the field. But I don't know if I've ever been around a guy with, you know, with the family, with his dad and uh, all that to kind of live up to. Man, he was out there all the time working and a great teammate. That's, that's what kind of stood out to me as well. He would work with his teammates, keep them out there, work on this and that, and try to get better. So uh, he'll go down. We've had a lot of great ones at Southern Miss, but uh, there's no question Frank Gore will go down as one of the best, uh, not just one of the best running backs we've ever had, but I think one of the best football players we've ever had at Southern Miss. John, I don't normally put people on the spots and ask them to tell a story, but you're a radio broadcaster. Your job is to tell stories. When you think back about Frank Gore's career, is there a particular story that maybe that stands out, an interaction that you had with him during his time in Hattiesburg? Well, I don't know if it's a story per se, but I think, uh, you know, Frank was such a good running back and a great pass receiver, great blocker, probably got not as much credit for being a blocker as uh, he probably deserved. But I think what uh, you know kind of stood out to me was the team player that he was. I mean, not a lot of guys, uh, you know, when you're a good running back like Frank, all of a sudden coach says, hey, we need you to play some wildcat quarterback. We need you to do this. We need you to return kicks, things like that. There wasn't a thing I ever heard them ask Frank to do that he didn't say, I'm in 100%. I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever I can do to help the team win. And so I think that's what stood out to me about Frank, you know, uh, a guy that came in, uh, not necessarily with a chip on his shoulder, but a guy that was expected a lot out of. And I think he probably delivered probably more than anybody ever thought we'd see uh, from Frank Gore. So just the, the team player that he was and the fact that he was willing to do, he, he'd have played on defense, so they'd asked him to. Just whatever they wanted him to do, return kicks, 
Uh, he could throw passes. He could kick. He could do everything. So just whatever they asked him to do, Frank was willing to do it to try to help the Golden Eagles win. Well, and I definitely think that is what endeared him to fans. They could clearly see that, you know, he was he was willing to do what it, it took to to take Southern Miss to the top, as, as you guys like to say down in Hattiesburg. But, John, let's talk some defense. Austin Armstrong departed during the offseason. He ends up becoming the defensive coordinator at Florida. Dan O'Brien was the internal hire to replace him. This defense underachieved, and I think this is really where we saw the injuries matter the most, particularly that secondary that was just banged up this year. What were the biggest you know, issues with that nasty bunch defense this year? I, I just think you probably hit on it, injuries. Uh, there were so many injuries and guys that were banged up. It was hard to maybe keep that same lineup in there on a regular basis. So the kind of consistency you know, there on the defensive side was probably what kept them from being as good as they probably could have been this year. Uh, I, I think, and in the secondary particularly, we had some really talented guys in the secondary and had uh, just seemed like injuries every week back there in the secondary. And so uh, I think I think they've addressed some of those issues. Uh, there were some depth issues because of the injuries. And so that was probably the main thing. But, uh, you know, Southern Miss has got such a rich and proud tradition of that nasty bunch defense. There have been so many good guys play back there. And so – I think some of the young guys have learned that. And so I think we'll see some of the young guys who didn't get probably a chance to play as much as they would have liked to or maybe could have last year. I think those young guys will get better here during the spring, get stronger and bigger and faster during the summer, and be ready to go next fall for the Eagles. So I think we'll see that nasty bunch defense back next year like we uh, at Southern Miss have learned to see it play over the years. Yeah, I think we're definitely expecting that over here, too, just given the injuries. And like you mentioned, just some of the, the negative experiences that happened this year. I remember there was a point where there was wide receivers and players playing in the secondary for the first time in their careers last season. But you mentioned Will Hall before he's entering his fourth season now with the black and gold. And from our perspective, it seems like he's kind of had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with this fan base. He's also shown some great self-awareness, especially last season with the willingness to make some big in-season changes down the stretch that really helped jolt this offense especially. He has the final year of his contract coming up. What do you need to see and maybe fans need to see from Coach, Coach Hall in this 2024 season? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one to answer, but I, I do know this. I, I've gotten to know Will. And I've been around a lot of Southern Miss uh, football over the 46 years that I've been around, and uh, I, I like what I see with Will Hall because Will Hall is all, all bought in on Southern Miss and you know that tradition of Southern Miss football, and, and he's trying to make the changes that he needs to try to get that football program where he wants it to be. So, uh, you know, I think he's, he's, he's out of the community. He goes out and, and sells his program to the people, very accessible. Uh, he's great to be around. He's, he's, like I said, he's all in on, on Southern Miss. Obviously, you know, he wants to win more ball games. Nobody wants to win more than Will Hall does uh, with the Golden Eagle football program. And so I think we're going to see a, in the spring, we'll see a lot of things happen there. Uh, guys are going to be healthy. They brought in some guys. Those younger guys have grown up a little bit. So I, I'm I'm excited and I'm I'm completely on board with the fact that I think we're going to see Southern Miss football get to where we want it to be next year. Sun Belt's tough though. You know, Conference USA was tough. Sun Belt Conference is great, great football. Uh, our fans have been turning out in great numbers. Uh, I think the early uh, marks of season tickets and. Of financial support for the university's athletic program and for football are trending in the right direction. So I'm excited. I think uh, next year is going to be the year everything's going to fall into place and we're going to see the Go Eagles play some really good football next year. Well, and John, I think for someone who's been around the program uh, for as long as you have been, I think that holds a lot of weight. And I know Caden and I are certainly rooting for Will Hall in this team to have a successful 2024 season because that West feels wide open. And I think there's an opportunity for Southern Miss to take a step forward. Let's go back to how we started this conversation and talking about that kind of quarterback away mantra. We saw former FSU starter Tate Roadmaker. He's committed to Southern Miss. You still have got Ethan Crawford, who Kate and I really loved some of his performances at times last year. You bring in the big-time recruit out of Mississippi and John White. After multiple years of kind of subpar quarterback play, is this the year that Southern Miss finds its answer at quarterback? Well, I certainly hope so. I think think that's uh, probably going to happen. The guys you mentioned, and, and Ethan Crawford was a guy last year, I think, that maybe surprised everybody. I know he surprised me. Uh, there was a young man who was willing to do, probably probably thought he wasn't going to play, 
probably thought he's just going to be kind of the backup guy and learn it. And all of a sudden, he's in there playing in some of the bigger games late in the year. Uh, so when you you add some veterans in there, uh, you put a guy like Ethan in there, uh, and I like what they're doing with uh, with their quarterbacks. I like what they did last year. I think just injuries last year, so many injuries in and around that offensive football team probably kept them from being as uh, as as good as they probably could have been, and maybe uh, in Will Hall's eyes probably should have been. And so I think you got to keep them healthy. That's obviously the big thing around quarterback. But I like that, that quarterback room. I like what they built with the mixture of the young guys, uh, guys like Ethan, who's played a little bit, and and some of the new guys. So I'm excited to see uh, who's going to emerge from from that battle to be the starting quarterback and how they're all going to have a part in it. So I think they'll be back to where they want to be as far as quarterbacks concerned. Yeah, we definitely like what we saw from Ethan, especially what he was able to add with his legs as well and adding some more competition in that quarterback room with for, with some proven guys at other schools at the high school level definitely have to imagine seeing improvement, especially with a healthier team next season for Southern Miss. We'll end with this, John. Optimism again coming back up for the Southern Miss team in 2024. We have some pieces exiting. We have the quarterback room having some changes in the West side of this conference really feels wide open. And then you mentioned some of the quarterback changes and the staff changes as well for this team. What are your expectations for Southern Miss and the Golden Eagles in 2024? Well, I'm probably not the right one to ask about that because I'm always a positive guy, and I always I'm always positive that uh, you know when the season starts, the Eagles are gonna have a great season, and we've had so many over the years with uh, so many great players and and so many great coaches. That, but but I'm convinced that Will Hall is the right guy uh, to be at Southern Miss. Will's done a great job, I think, of getting our fan base really excited again about the brand of Golden Eagle football that he wants to play, you know, throw that football around and uh, make it exciting. And on defense, kind of build on that great tradition of the nasty bunch defense at Southern Miss where he attacked from all over the place. So I, I sense in the community there's a lot of excitement about next year for Golden Eagle football and for, for Will Hall and his Golden Eagles. So uh, I'm, I, I always like to think of the positive side. I think it's going to be a great year, tough schedule. Tough battle in the Sunbelt Conference as usual, but uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be another great year for the Eagles coming up this season. Well, John, certainly the the positivity appreciated, and I think just the the voice of reason down there that you are in Hattiesburg is is good for this fan base. We appreciate your time on the Frarian Smith Podcast today and look forward to staying in touch throughout the remainder of the offseason. Thank you, guys. Anytime we could do something for you, let us know. We appreciate all you do to help uh, promote the game of college football. Great game. People love it in Hattiesburg, love it around Southern Miss, around the state of Mississippi, around the state of Mississippi. So uh, thanks for having me on today and uh, look forward to joining you again real soon. Caden really enjoyed that conversation with John Cox. He has been around that Southern Miss athletic program for a, a long time. And for me, that's why his comments or thoughts, particularly about Will Hall, held a lot of weight. And He's a very positive guy, as he told us in that interview, but I, I think there are some reasons for positivity around this Southern Miss football team. They've restocked the quarterback room. There's some exciting young pieces. The recruiting class looked really good uh, this year. Kate, and I think that there is a bright future coming. I think pa fans just need to be a little bit more patient with this program. Yeah, I mentioned at the top of the episode, Will Hall was definitely just dealt one of the worst hands you can get if you look at what all the Sunbelt coaches had to go through this year. I think when you look at him starting off his first season with Southern Miss 3-9 and nine in Conference USA, you're going to be willing to take that with a coach's first year in the conference. And then the fact that this team had its quarterback struggles the last two seasons and was still able to pull off the 7-6 record in 2022 and this year kind of taking a step back, going back to another three-win season, I think it's more so a product of the circumstances and the roster situation and just some of the different unfortunate things that happened to this team that was out of Will Hall's control. So I think heading into next year with a little bit more security in certain spots, it's going to be very interesting to see what he's able to do. But I think you, me, and a lot of others think he is a good football coach. He is and could be potentially the one to turn things around with this program if things work out the right way and everything kind of is mapped out the way it should be. So excited for them this offseason for sure and hoping that they can have better circumstances this year that Will Hall can probably capitalize on as a head coach that I think a lot of people believe in. Caden, despite uh, what fans on Twitter might think, I, we are excited and, and we're rooting for for Will Hall this coming year and for this program. This is a, a very proud Southern Miss program that I think we'd love to see return to prominence in, in what looks like a pretty wide open Sunbelt West heading into 2024. But 
Let's turn our attention now to the Georgia State Panthers. And Caden, for Georgia State, unlike Southern Miss, this is a team that got off to a fantastic start to the year. They were 6-1 and one heading into late October, but then you lose five straight down the stretch to finish 6-6 six and six in the regular season. They then go into the bowl game. You win that uh, with Darren Granger putting on that Superman cape that you like to talk about. Caden, what are you going to remember about the 2023 season for Georgia State? Yeah, it's hard not to look at this Georgia State season and not think about just the stark difference between the first half and the second half of the year. I think when you look at this team and it's 6-1 and one start, Darren Granger playing his best football, Marcus Carroll behind him as maybe arguably the best one-two punch as far as a quarterback and a running back in the conference. Starting off the year 6-1, and one, having two impressive road wins against Louisiana and Georgia, um, Louisiana and Coastal Carolina rather, I think. This team just looked like it was meeting those expectations about the fantastic offseason that we heard they have. And for them to just fall off of a cliff like they did to end the year was just surprising and shocking. And I can't wait for listeners to hear kind of some more insight about what went tailed with that. But I think ultimately just looking at this team kind of reach its peak at one point of this year and reach its absolute floor at another time of the year is what I'll remember most. Well, like you mentioned, Caden, Georgia State's Dave Cohn is here. Let's review the Panthers 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the longtime radio voice of Georgia State, Dave Cohen, here on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. Dave, thanks for taking some time away from the beach to uh, join us on the show. Happy to be here. Looking forward to chatting with you guys. Well, Dave, let's uh, talk some Georgia State football here in the month of January. And thinking about this season, it was, in my opinion, a tale of two halves for Georgia State. This team starts off the year 6-1, and one, but then ends the regular season going 0-5 down the stretch. They do win that bowl game, though, and I think that was definitely a nice way to end the year on a high note. What were your biggest takeaways from Georgia State's 2023 season? Well, I think first and foremost, right out of the gate, was uh, the, the difference in the early season schedule from a year ago to this past season. You know, last year or two years ago, we opened up at South Carolina, and then came back to play Drake May in North Carolina. And as you look back at it, both games were winnable, especially the game at home against North Carolina. Uh, but in the end, we weren't able to close them out. And so as we had found ourselves uh, over the last, I don't know, I'll say three seasons, we found ourselves in a hole after the first month of the season. And then you spend the next month of the season trying to dig out of that hole and hopefully get back to 500. This year was different because of the way they scheduled in that Georgia State was able to get off to a, a quick start, a positive start. And that just kind of was like a snowball effect for football through the first, let's say, five, six weeks of the college football season. And then all of a sudden, we're 3-0, and we've never been 3-0 before in the 14-year history of the program. And then they're 4-0 after the win at Coastal Carolina. I know a game that uh, no, I, that you were that you stopped by the radio booth and we chit-chatted for a while. So they were still checking boxes of things that the program had never yet accomplished, which was going 3-0 and 4-0. And, you know, then we're, you know, all of a sudden we're 6-1, and as you said, it's kind of the tale of uh, two seasons. We kind of hit a fork in the road, and the second half of the season found us playing some of the upper echelon teams in the Sun Belt Conference, the James Madisons, the Appalachian States, so on and so forth. And, and again, we did not fare as well in the second half of the season. I will say the one game that uh, if there's a game that keeps me up at night as a, as a radio crew member, it's the final game of the regular season at Old Dominion. We led almost we led the entire game until the final two seconds when the Monarch quarterback uh, snuck in for a touchdown. And Georgia State, you know, did everything to set that up for Old Dominion to win that game. I think we were up twenty one nothing at halftime. We were playing great. And then all of a sudden, uh, some mistakes in the second half allowed Old Dominion to not only win the ball game in crazy fashion, but they became bowl eligible based on that win. So they were playing with a sense of urgency. I'm not taking anything away from ODU, but that was Georgia State's game to win. That's the one that got away. Fortunately, they were already bowl eligible. And as you mentioned, um, some would say that uh, based on Proximity travel, getting sent to Boise, Idaho for the famous Idaho Potato Bowl 
would look like we drew the short straw. Uh, to the contrary, having been out there a couple of three times with basketball over the years, I thought it was a great experience for Georgia State football, and I'm talking even before the game. Most of the players on that Georgia State roster, as well as I'm sure some staff members, have never been in the state of Idaho, and they got to do some cool things as part of the bowl experience. And then, of course, with the transfer portal, the players that either opted out um, had already hit the portal before the bowl game, including our starting running back, our starting left tackle opted out, our starting right tackle went into the portal. We went out there somewhat of a shell of what we were in that final game at Old Dominion. So there were a lot of question marks. And thankfully, Darren Granger was still there, the straw that stirs the drink. But the, the interesting thing about it was our running game. So Freddie Brock, who had been our main guy all year, he went into the portal and has since transferred to Missouri. So we go out there with three running backs uh, led by Freddie Brock, who had transferred in after last season from Maine. He had a total of six carries the entire season. Jalen Foster and Terry Burden Jr., between the two of them, had one carry late in the game at LSU. So we went out to play this bowl game against Utah State with three running backs with a combined seven carries on the season. Well, in, as you know, Freddie Brock had the game of his life, setting a bowl record for single rushing, single game rushing yards. He also set the Georgia State single game rushing record. Granger had a fantastic game in what was his final game as a Georgia State Panther. And Georgia State ended up winning the game, we'll say, going away. So from a negative and a tough loss at Old Dominion to a few weeks later, a fantastic experience in Boise at the Bowl. Uh, credit to the Bowl folks as well. They, they were fantastic hosts. And then to come out there on Bowl game day and play as well as they did, finish ultimately with a winning record at 7-6 and six, and hopefully based on as many new players that will be here this coming season based on players that we lost. At the end of the day, the program will take a winning record into the offseason and hopefully take a lot of momentum into the offseason workouts as they get ready for uh, what will be their 15th season of Georgia State football, which for someone who has seen every down of every game, it's for all the years Georgia State did not have football to say we're going into year 15 is really kind of kind of crazy. Now, that's a fantastic recap of the season, Dave. Really appreciate it. But you mentioned this offseason coming up. Let's take a look back at last offseason. This team wasn't happy how the 2022 year ended. They hired a new strength coach, Mike Seriano, a guy I'm familiar with, and spent the offseason really working this program up to prepare for moments like we saw during the season. I remember talking to Bryce Brown in media days about how difficult those summer workouts were. What was the offseason like for this team, and how did you see that show up on the field last season? Well, Caden, you know you played the game, so sometimes when a when when a season does not go the way the coaches and the staff expected, sometimes a change in strength and conditioning is among the first signs that uh, there's about to be a shift, and that was the case with Georgia State, and Coach Siriano came in. As a matter of fact, one of the Panther Insider podcasts I recorded with him during the season uh, if you get a chance to listen to it, it, was all about him and his philosophy and the way he changed things upon his arrival at Georgia State. And you could pretty much go from player one, Darren Granger, all the way down to the 85th scholarship player. And they're going to speak highly uh, of the impact that Coach Siriano had uh, in the strength and conditioning center, as well as the locker room, uh, and as well as on the practice field and summer workouts and so, yeah, I mean, there are times you see a change like that where it is an impact change. And I think for Georgia State, it was uh, coming off a four and eight season, coming off an eight win season. Now, three seasons ago, there was a lot of expectations, a lot of positive energy around the program coming off that win, uh, the eight win season and that Camellia Bowl win on Christmas Day three years ago. That evaporated pretty quickly when we got off to a tough start, like I said, last year at South Carolina, North Carolina. All of a sudden, you know, again, you're trying to dig out of a hole so early in the season. A lot of that positive energy, uh, the expectations change. They shift on a dime. 
And ultimately, Georgia State limped to a four-win, eight-loss season last year. So, again, off-season changes, uh, change at the defensive coordinator position with Chad Staggs coming in from Coastal Carolina after uh, the previous D.C. went on to Cincinnati. There were some key changes, and I would say that Coach Siriano was the first uh, major change in attitude adjustment uh, and physical preparation adjustment, uh, all of that combined. And then with, with Coach Staggs coming in from Coastal Carolina, you're able to hit the ground running because that's a program that's in your division in the Sun Belt. He knows it's not like he has to come in and ramp up with his knowledge and familiarity with the Sun Belt and the Sun Belt East. He was on the opposite sideline from us early in the, you know, earlier, you know, the previous season. So that certainly, I think, made for a pretty smooth transition. And you could tell defensively we were a lot better in the first six, seven games of this past season. So, yeah, th those two right there, the two changes uh, that seemed to me right out of the gate, and it was obvious, those were impact, impact changes, impact adjustments uh, that Coach Elliott made, and it certainly paid dividends uh, from the start of the season all the way till the very end of the season with, again, a little bit of a bumpy road in the second half coming down the stretch. Dave, I think those are some great points, and Caden has made me a believer of how much a change in strength and conditioning coach can affect a, a football team. We definitely saw that uh, with Georgia State. Now, earlier in this interview, you know, you brought up a really interesting point that I hadn't thought about. Uh, I was at the Coastal Carolina game when I feel like Georgia State looked their best this season. Then I was also at the Georgia Southern game where I felt like maybe Georgia State looked at the bottom of who they were this year. Again, tale of two seasons. In your opinion, what was the difference, what was the biggest difference from the team that we saw early on in the year to the team that finished 0-5 in late October through November? Well, yeah, you had to bring up the Georgia Southern game, didn't you? I did. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, and I would never blame it on the schedule, or but, but the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind about that is we played... Oh, we played on a, what, a, was it a Wednesday night? Or we played a midweek game at Louisiana and then came back. And, oh, yeah, we, no, we played on a Saturday night at Louisiana. And then we came back to Atlanta. By the time you get back, it's Sunday morning early. They practiced on Monday. They practiced on Tuesday. They left for Statesboro, staying halfway um, the night before that Thursday game. So they really had two days to practice. Now, they were on an emotional high because they won that game at Louisiana on an interception in the end zone with, what, seven seconds left. So I'm not saying they came into that week on a down note by any means. They were, they were on a, a positive energy high based on, on the win at Louisiana, which was the first time we'd beaten them there. But, you know, Georgia Southern, and take nothing away from the Eagles, they kind of had a mirror image season like we did they they got off to a quick start and you know they struggled down the stretch too uh but they were down there in statesboro lying in wait for us to come down there and we come rolling into the borough on basically two days of practice and uh you know georgia southern had a great a great afternoon and georgia state for whatever reason did not uh just like we say in basketball because we played them twice in the last week and a half we beat them in Atlanta 90 to 62. We go down to Statesboro exactly one week later. They hit 17 threes and beat us. I know we're talking football. My point is, and you've heard this a million times, in a rivalry like Georgia State, Georgia Southern, which in the Sun Belt for us is a big rivalry, throw the records out. It doesn't matter. You know, a lot of these kids have played opposite, they have played together. Uh, if, if they were on the same high school team, they played opposite each other in high school. You, you guys know there, there's familiarity uh, between a lot of the Georgia State and the Georgia Southern players. So it, it intensifies the rivalry maybe a little bit more than any other game we play on the schedule. And look, Georgia Southern just had a fantastic afternoon. They were ready for Georgia State. And again, based on two days practice, I'm not sure that Georgia State, even coming off the Louisiana win, was a hundred percent ready to, to go into Paulson stadium and that atmosphere. They had a great crowd there that night. I think it was their best crowd of the season, which, you know, obviously when, when Georgia state and Georgia Southern meet, 
So from that standpoint, it's it's really the only thing that I can point to. I would have loved to have had a, and I'm sure the coaching staff would have as well, not, not a rushed week of practice to get ready for your in-state rival game in what we'll call a college football hostile environment uh, for Georgia State going into Statesboro. But again, that started that little run of a loss at ho- a loss on the road at Georgia Southern, a loss at home, and I forget the exact James Madison Appalachian State. They were back to back weeks, and the scores were exactly the same. Uh, just just had a stretch there where both offensively and defensively, things were not clicking. We were giving up a lot of points and we were all of a sudden struggling to score points and really weren't able to pull out of it until the Old Dominion game. And that ended, as I mentioned earlier, on a sour note. And uh, that's what they took into the postseason bowl game. No, definitely scheduling and the emotional highs and lows that come with a schedule are something we definitely try to talk about and forecast going into matchups and it's definitely something that seems like an impact to that game and maybe potentially the rest of the season for this Georgia State team. Dave, we mentioned Darren Granger earlier. He seemed like the heartbeat of this program now for the last couple of years and really been a true development story, improving year after year and establishing himself as not only an elite dual threat quarterback in the conference, but really across the country. He ends his career off with a signature performance in the bowl game like we mentioned before. And I think it's safe to say in this 15-year history, maybe that he could be deemed the best player in school history at this point. How much will he be missed in Atlanta now that his, his career is over with the Panthers? Well, by by this radio guy a lot, because I really <clears throat> I got along with Darren really well. He was a great interview, is a great interview, was always available. And, you know, from the radio guy's standpoint, you love dealing with players like that. And Darren was was fantastic. Yeah, he is, you know, again, we're talking about a short history of the program. Uh, when you look at quarterbacks, obviously the first great, in my opinion, Georgia State quarterback was Nick Arbuckle, um, followed by Connor Manning. Um, you know, Darren Granger, certainly right up there. You put those three guys, probably one, two, three, and not necessarily in, in that order. But, you know, and Darren was a great story because you go back to 2019. And Georgia State opens the season at uh, Neyland Stadium in Knoxville and, and beats a Tennessee football team. I think it was 38-30. Uh, oh, I take that back. Uh, the one guy I cannot leave out is a uh, uh, quarterback who led us at Tennessee, who's now an assistant on our staff. Um, so, th- you know, those would be the four great quarterbacks in the history of Georgia State football. And um, – but – We come back from Knoxville, and we come into week two, and who does Georgia State play? The Furman Paladins, led by Darren Granger. And coming off that high in the win over Tennessee, uh, Granger came in and gave Georgia State a run for their money. It was a high-scoring game, 40-something to 40-something, and Granger just tore us up. And he looked great. Of course, at that time, nobody knew that by the time we'd hit the offseason that he would be announcing his transfer to Georgia State. So he comes in and, you know, he's not the starter when he gets to Georgia State. Cornelius Brown's the starter. And he had a really, you know, Brown had a really, had one really good season as well before he ultimately, uh, in the North Carolina game in Chapel Hills, where they made that quarterback switch. When, when Darren came in and took over and really never relinquished the starting job. But um, Granger, from that point on, as you mentioned, Caden, got better and better, got more comfortable uh, as he learned the system. And ultimately, all of that became uh, the Darren Granger that we've seen the, <clears throat> the last two, three seasons. And um, yeah, you know, when it comes, he obviously one of the four team captains each of the last two seasons, uh, leader on the field, leader in the locker room, you know, all the cliches that go along with guys that uh, either lead, follow, or get out of the way. Darren was definitely a lead guy uh, for this Georgia State football team, as you would expect out of your quarterback. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, I understand that they can't play forever. It's not at least, well, some would say it is now, but it's not professional football. You know, it'd be great if Darren had another year or two. I say that selfishly just because I like him, you know, so much, and he's so easy and, and fun to deal with. 
But, yeah, he's definitely one of the top four quarterbacks uh, in, in, in Georgia State's, again, 14-year history of the program. Well, Dave, there's certainly no denying that Darren Granger is going to be missing Atlanta. I know he's going to be missed here on the Ferrari Smith podcast. We loved covering his last couple of seasons. We enjoyed talking to him on this show and just getting the backstory of his career. So certainly will be missed. Uh, Talking, you know, obviously he's going to move on as a redshirt senior. But, you know, another topic around this program right now is for the second straight offseason. We've seen some of the team's best offensive weapons depart this program. I think back to Jamari Thrash last season, I think to guys like Marcus Carroll and Robert Lewis, who've left the program this offseason. What do you make of this program's recent kind of inability to retain some of their top talent in the offseason? Well, let me start by saying Dan Ellington is the quarterback that I was referring to, who was our quarterback in the Tennessee win in that season. Dan, along with Nick Arbuckle, Connor Manning, and Darren Granger, those are your four great quarterbacks in, in Georgia State's. 14-year history. Yeah, you know, we're living in a new world of college athletics that it, it it really changed and is continuing to morph and change at a very, very rapid rate. Uh, you look back at what Georgia State lost a year ago, uh, you know, starting with Jamari Thrash, who went on to Louisville and had a great season uh, with the Louisville football program. Uh, Thomas Gore, who was our starting nose guard, who went to Miami, even our starting punter and kicker at uh, West Virginia, uh, Jamil Muhammad out at Southern Cal. You know, I have a feeling that in many of the Power Five program, what we'll call meeting rooms or war rooms, there are big whiteboards with a marker. And they've got a list of all the top five group of five players off of each group of five school, whether it's the Sun Belt, Mountain West, the MAC, American, Conference USA, you name it. And, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me one iota if they follow statistically and via video the great players that are at the group of five, and then they make a play at them. You know, it's almost like group of five is acting like AAA for – Power five college football. I don't think it's a good thing, but it is what it is. And nobody's been able to really slow it down or get a grasp on it. It, it has affected Georgia State. As I mentioned, you know, we lose, you know, Thrash a year ago and all those other players I mentioned. This year, Georgia State at the end of the season, Robert Lewis is already at Auburn. Marcus Carroll, you know, doesn't can't doesn't go to the bowl game. He's at Missouri. Um who else did we lose? Oh, we lost our starting right tackle, Montavious Cunningham, to Virginia Tech. Uh, again, we had a few that opted out, um, you know, in hopes of getting ready for the National Football League draft, so I'll give them that. But, yeah, it's affected Georgia State as much as many of the other Sunbelt programs and Group of Five programs. And, you know, it's tough if you're a head coach because, you know, you always sleep with one eye open with regards – to your roster because you never know who's lurking around the next door trying to pluck a player from your roster. And, and we have certainly been a victim of that. And again, a lot of other group of fives and Sunbelt programs have as well. And you're going to have to rebuild your roster every year. The one thing that I said is, okay, so, so power five is primarily taking players from group of five. In this world that we're currently operating in, I would say the one positive for the group of five is that we're kind of in the middle of the intersection. We're losing players to the power five, but we're also getting players from the power five. You know, Georgia State's already gotten a transfer running back from Clemson. Um, they've gotten numerous other transfers. I won't go down the whole list from power five, but being in the middle of the intersection, guys, we're also getting some of the top players from the FCS. Now, I know... He, it, it wasn't the same at the time, but Darren Granger's a good example of that, even though he wasn't, you know, involved in NIL and all that. Granger was one of the better quarterbacks at FCS, and Georgia State got that. So group of five programs are getting guys coming from power five down who maybe want to play more and have more of a presence on the field. They also have the option, more so than power five, I think, getting the best out of the FCS level of football. So if you if we have to live in the world that we're living in, I would say group of five 
although you don't want to lose your best players, is in a pretty good spot getting players from above and getting players from one level below. No, definitely a great analysis, Dave, and something we've talked about on this podcast even as recently as our latest episode with Keith Gill, just talking about the position the Sun Belt is in in regards to the transfer portal. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how Georgia State and other programs manage being kind of in that middle point of getting some FCS talent and some Power 5 talent coming in and out of the conference as well. Last question for you, Dave. A number of Georgia State's star players, as we've mentioned, have departed. Coach Elliott has done a great job, though, of keeping and retaining and reloading that roster and his coaching staff as well. We know the East is going to be tough yet again this upcoming season, and Georgia State has some very exciting home matchups, especially in 2024. We know it's late January, but what needs to happen for this Georgia State team in order to take the next step this upcoming season in 2024? Well, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I think, uh, you know, got to get off to a good start. And we're playing we're playing two power fives again this year. Uh, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but I know we are playing at Georgia Tech for the first time. And then we have Vanderbilt at home. Um, Tech is certainly a much improved program <clears throat> since Brent Key took over. Vanderbilt, I'm not so sure yet, but we also have Chattanooga, uh, which is coached by Rusty Wright, uh, formerly uh, an assistant coach on Coach Elliott's staff, so there'll be a side story to that game, and then I believe we got to return the game to UConn. So we've got to get off to a good start. We cannot get off to, you know, one and three or, you know, God forbid, oh and four. I don't think that'll happen, but we got to get off to a good start, and uh, again, we kind of say the same thing in and around basketball as well with the transfer portal. And the only reason these players got to learn to play with one another because there's such an up uprooting in the roster each and every year. <clears throat> Caden, you know this because chemistry is an often used word in sports. Got to build that chemistry with so many new faces on the roster, uh, starting at quarterback. Uh, and that job is open right now. I know they got a transfer from Georgia Tech, but you know I'm told there may be another transfer coming in, so that job is wide open right now. Um, running back, there's a transfer from Coastal Carolina. There's a transfer from Clemson. I believe Freddie Brock is back, so the running back room looks pretty good right now. I know that uh, the other player that we lost to the transfer portal, and I have not heard of where he's landed, if anywhere yet, is Talik Williams. So we lost Thrash a year ago, and we lost our number one and number two receivers this season in Robert Lewis and now Talik Williams. And Jakari Carter, I should say, uh, is a, is went back into the transfer portal. So <clears throat> you're going to have a new quarterback. You're going to have lots of new receivers, uh, a number of new offensive linemen because you lost both tackles. Um, you have a new center. So there's a lot of question marks with regards to position uh, hitting into this this offseason. So you combine that with, I always say, the difficulty in the non-conference portion of the schedule. You know, we had Appalachian State at home this year, James Madison at home this year, Marshall at home. Guess where we got to go this year? The Sunbelt East is a beast every year, and we get the three, what I call the three big bad boys back on the road. You got to go up the mountain. You got to go to Harrisonburg and you got to go to Marshall, where I just was with basketball. You guys know those are three of the tougher places to play in the Sunbelt Conference. So, again, just to recap new faces at key positions on offense, and I'm sure on defense as well. Uh, strength of schedule, got to get off to a good start. It'd be great to beat Georgia Tech. That's going to take on a life of its own in a very similar fashion that Georgia Southern does, uh, even though we don't, you know, we've never played Tech before. I think the fact that we've never played them before uh, even adds another element to it because it's going to be whoever throws the first punch in this series. We play them again in 26 at Center Park Stadium. So there's, there's a lot of unknowns right now uh, with regards to starters, two deeps with regards to personnel, uh, certainly a, an interesting and a challenging non-conference and then conference schedule. Um, so th there's a lot in that cauldron right now being stirred up, and there's going to be a lot of work, I'm sure, 
The busiest guy this summer is probably going to be Coach Mike Siriano, getting these guys ready physically, mentally, you know, getting them on the right track. You, again, you guys know there's really not an off season in college football or college basketball anymore beyond a week or two here. They're all Every time I go to the stadium, no matter what time of year it is, there are guys working out, there are guys practicing, there are guys on the field, you know, doing whatever, but with the expressed intent of getting ready for that next season. So with everything that's happened to Georgia State, there's a lot of question marks, but, uh, you know, Coach Elliott, I think, has done a fantastic job elevating the Georgia State football program from the time that he's been here, and he's been here now exactly one half of the life of the program. This will be his eighth season, and he's done a lot of great things to elevate the Georgia State program to where it is now from where it was when he took over. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how we bounce back. Again, coming off a great bowl win out in Idaho. I know some of those guys who played in that game won't be here, but the program will benefit from the way they finished the season this past year. Well, Dave, we really appreciate your time today and, and breaking down kind of the factors around Georgia State and into the future. So thank you so much for your time and look forward to staying in touch throughout the offseason. Sure, appreciate it. Always good uh, to talk to you guys, and thanks for having me on. Kaden, always fun talking with Dave. I got a chance to talk to him a couple times in person this year. was excited to have him come on the Frarian Smith podcast, and I think he gave us a, a ton of great information about this Georgia State football program Caden, coming away from that interview, for me, I, I think of the offseason ahead and really the transfer portal environment around this Georgia State team are two of the more interesting storylines heading into the offseason. This is a huge offseason for Georgia State as they try to continue to, to take that next step as a program in a conference that, as Dave said, you know, could very quickly be passing them by. Yeah, I think as far as offseason storylines go, Georgia State's in one of the most unique positions across the conference. They've been decimated yet again with the transfer portal. We've mentioned how the transfer portal landscape is now. And unfortunately, just the fact of the matter is right now that this this program is kind of looking like a stepping stone program where we can almost come to expect their best players to be gone the next year going up to the Power 5 level. So just in the future, curious to see how the culture of this program can continue to be established. Dave mentioned this is a program that hasn't been around too long, only 15 seasons now. And I think when you look at their unique position in the Sun Belt, being in the state of Georgia, having the opportunity to recruit at a high level in a state that produces a lot of talent, like we've talked about, having to replace a quarterback. There's just so many different facets. Having a strength coach now doubling down on his culture in yet another offseason. I think this program can kind of just go in a lot of directions if you look at them compared to other teams in the Sun Belt. I'm very curious to see how their head coach is going to be able to rally the troops and hopefully put another team out here who can yet again make a bowl game. This team makes a bowl game every year and particularly plays well in their bowl games. I think the biggest question is going to be, can they put together some of the strong starts and the strong finishes they've had in the season together in one year? And I think a lot of that is going to be predicated on what they're able to do in the offseason and future offseasons as well. Okay, and I think to that point, the one thing that Georgia State fans so they can hang their hat on is Coach Elliott and this staff have shown the ability to restock the cupboard and to get a lot of success. So I think, as you said, big offseason ahead for Georgia State. Well, that's going to do it for the latest episode in our Sunbelt In Review series. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Southern Mrs. John Cox, as well as Georgia State's Dave Cohn, for joining us for today's conversation. Okay, and we're 12 schools in. We've only got two schools remaining to wrap up our 2023 in review series. And with that in mind, we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be releasing the final episode in our in review series, focusing on Louisiana and ULM. We're heading down to the Bayou, where voices of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker and Warhawks, Mike Hammett, will join us. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do tell a friend about the Ferry and Smith podcast. Help us continue to grow this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you spending more time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Wednesday.